Well, let me say, dear friends, it's good to be back again here in Moody'sburn, New Beginnings Church, to bring to you some teaching from the Word of God. Uh, some time ago, I was preaching down in a town called Ashwinning in County Durham, and after the service, one of the men came to me to express appreciation for the teaching that he received, and he said something a wee bit unusual. He said, you blew some cobwebs of some old doctrines. I thought that was a very unique way of putting it. You blew off some cobwebs of some old doctrines. And sometimes, dear friends, we need to get back to the old doctrines that we find in the Word of God. Because we live in an age in which we're always looking for new things, new experiences, but we need at times to get back to the old doctrines. And what am I going to do this morning is this, we're going to have a look at some of the old doctrines that we find in the Bible. And I'm going to deal briefly this morning with two of them. And I want you to listen very carefully because these are very important doctrines that we have in the Bible. We're going to have a look first of all at the Christian's standing and his state. And that's the first doctrine we're going to think about this morning. The Christian's doctrine, the Christian's standing and his state. And then the next old doctrine, remember this, the Christian's three great enemies. We need to know what they are and who they are. First of all then, we're going to have a look at this great doctrine that is clearly taught in the Word of God. The Christian's standing and the Christian's state. Now, what do we mean by these terms? Well, let me say first of all that when we speak of the Christian standing, we simply mean this. How God sees the Christian in Christ. And that is what we mean, and that is what the Bible means when it speaks of the Christian's standing. Of how God sees the Christian in his beloved son. For example, we read in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So God sees the Christian justified, declared righteous, not made righteous, but declared righteous on the basis of our Lord's finished work on the cross. And then God sees the Christian in his standing as someone who has been reconciled to him. The old enmity of sin, 
that separated the sinner from God has been dealt with by our Lord's work on the cross and God has reconciled us to himself and then we have peace with God isn't that a wonderful thing we have peace with God because the sin problem has been dealt with and Romans 5 and verse 1 says again therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God and then the Bible says as to our standing that we are accepted in the beloved no longer enemies no longer separated but accepted in the beloved now the Christian standing never changes it's always the same and should you live to be a Christian for a hundred years after the hundred years you will be no more justified no more reconciled no more accepted in the beloved than you were when you first put your trust in the Lord Jesus that is what the Bible teaches concerning the Christian's standing think of it justified declared righteous in God's sight reconciled to him at peace with him and accepted in the beloved the world might despise you the world might reject you the world might have no time for you but as far as God is concerned that is how he sees you in Jesus Christ his beloved son but what do we mean when we speak of the Christian's state now this is different because when the Bible speaks of the Christian state it has reference to what the Christian is from day to day and from week to week and from month to month and from year to year and my how all this is different from the Christian's standing because the Christian state can be characterized like this one day you're up the next day you're down you blow hot and you blow cold sometimes you feel like praying and when you do pray God seems so near he's so close you can almost reach out and touch him and then other times he seems to be a billion miles away at times you go to God's word and my the Bible is a living book it's wonderful it's precious and then the next day you go and it is dry as dust sometimes you feel like going to church other times you couldn't care less and you don't go that is what the Bible means when it speaks of the Christian state it fluctuates it's like the pound and the dollar on the stock exchange it's up and down up and down blowing hot and cold one day close the next day not so close 
And that is what the Bible teaches about the Christian's state. Always changing. But the Christian standing always remains the same. And dear beloved friends this morning, you must recognize this because it explains so much as what you read in the Bible. And if you don't distinguish between the Christian standing and the Christian state, you're going to get confused and mixed up in your thinking. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and I just wonder what your reaction is. Are you ready? You are looking at a saint. I just wonder what your reaction is. You are looking at a saint. You probably think, come on Stanley, pull the other one. Who do you think you're kidding? Who do you think you're bluffing? What? Looking at a saint? May I also say that those of us who are saved this morning in God's house, I am looking at saints. And you know, if the Apostle Paul was writing to the New Beginnings Church in Moody'sburn, he would have no hesitation whatever in saying to the saints which are at the New Beginning Church in Moody'sburn in Glasgow. Because that is how the Bible describes God's people as saints. But you see, our idea of a saint is so different from what the Bible says about saints. Because when you think of a saint, you may think of perhaps of what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, that you have to be dead for many years before you become a saint. Or as the wee boy was asked, what is a saint? Oh, he said a saint is a dead minister. You see, we've got this idea of sainthood. But the Bible clearly teaches that all of God's people are saints. You're looking at one, and I'm looking at saints, if you're a Christian this morning. But we don't seem to use that word these days. When was the last time you greeted someone and said, I'm glad to see you, Saint Graham? Or Saint Anne. We don't use that expression. But it's an old Greek word, hegios, which means someone that is separate, devoted. That is what the Bible means when it speaks of saints. What a precious doctrine that is. The Christian standing. Don't forget it, dear friends. That's how God sees you. Don't forget your state that can fluctuate from day to day. That's changing. Never get them confused. <coughs> then, let me ask you a question. How many enemies have you got? You probably think, when I stand I'm glad to say I've got no enemies. I've got good neighbors. I've got good friends. I've got no enemies. Well, I've got news for you. If you are a Christian this morning, you have three great enemies. 
And as soon as you recognize them and know who they are, you'll be in a better position to face them. Now, who are your three great enemies? Who are my three great enemies as Christians, as saints? Here's enemy number one. The world around you. That's your enemy. The world around you. Now, when the Bible speaks of the world, it's not speaking so much of the cosmos, the mountains, the hills, the valleys, the wonderful creation, which is wonderful. Not that sort of world. But the age, the system that we live in. Do you remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 12? He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then the next verse says, and be not conformed to this world, this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world, this age. I love how Dr. Phillips translates that, be not conformed to this world. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mode. Isn't that wonderful? Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mode. And dear friends, if we're not careful, that's exactly what happens. Through television, through radio, through magazines we read, through newspapers. And if we're not careful, we begin to think as the world thinks. We begin to act as the world acts. We begin to speak as the world speaks. In other words, the world is squeezing us into its boats. Be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's your enemy. And you soon discover, dear friends, that the world, the evil system, is no friend to the Christian. It despises the one that you love and serve, the Lord Jesus. It has got no time for this book, the Bible. Got no time for the church. Never darkens the church doors. The world is our enemy. We are not to be conformed to it. It's evil system that domineers it in its thinking, in its philosophy, in its ideas. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And may I say, friends, very graciously, and I don't say it critically, there was a time in which there was a clear demarcation line between Christians and non-Christians. You could tell the difference. But sad to say, that line of demarcation is getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And sometimes you hardly see the difference 
between Christians and non-Christians. And isn't that sad? Step out into the streets of this town of Moody's Burn. The people out there don't read the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Would to God they did. But they don't read those gospels. But I tell you this. They're reading the gospel according to Graham. According to you, you put your name. And if that is the only gospel they're reading. Then what kind of gospel are we presenting to them? Do they see anything different about us? How we speak, how we act, how we're kind, how we're thoughtful. Do they see any difference? I trust they do. You see, the Bible speaks of three kinds of evangelism. We hear a lot about two, but not so much of the third. There's mass evangelism. The Billy Graham crusades, you've had them here in Glasgow by Billy Graham. Great mass, mass evangelism. Thousands coming to hear the gospel. That's wonderful. And thank God for those that have been wonderfully saved. And then there's personal evangelism. One to one. Neighbor to neighbor. Friend to friend. But what about the third one? That Peter mentions. What he says. He says be ready always. To give an answer. To those that ask you. A reason for the hope. That is within you. Ah do you see the difference? Those people. Are taking the initiative. And they're coming to you. And they're saying excuse me. I've been looking at your life. You're different. You don't do this. You don't do that. They tell me, why are you different? But that's happening, friends, all the time. And if that neighbor were to come to you and say, excuse me, I've been watching you, observing your life. You're different. What, what's the secret? How are you different? And then you tell them, not about the church, oh no. Not about religion, oh no. But you tell them about the one who has saved you and changed you and transformed you. And you introduce them to the greatest person you could ever meet. The person of God's beloved son. Yes, thank God for mass evangelism. Thank God for personal evangelism. But who knows, in the week that lies ahead, someone's going to come and say, when I... Tell us, why are you different? <coughs> I hope you're ready. Because Peter says, be always ready. Not just to give your testimony, but to give a reason for the hope that is within you. <coughs> That's where you get apologetics from, that word. Not only do you know what you believe, but you know why you believe it. Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe what you believe? I hope you do, friends. Because that person may come this week and ask you for a reason of the hope that is within you. So there is enemy number one. The world around us. Not the cosmos, 
but the age that domineers the world. Here's enemy number two, and that is the flesh within you. So you've got the world around you, and then you've got the flesh within you. Now you have to, you have to follow me very closely here, friends. An unsaved person has only got one nature. The theologians speak of that as the old Adamic nature that they have inherited through birth down through the generations. Just one nature. That's all they've got. Just one nature. An unsaved person. And if you're not a Christian this meeting this morning, you've got only one nature, and that is the old nature that you've been born with. But when a person gets converted and gets changed by the mighty power of the gospel, as a result of his being regenerated by the Spirit of God, being born again, he receives, or she receives, a new nature. So a Christian has got two natures. Unsaved, one nature. The Christian, two natures. He's still got the old Adamic nature, but in addition, because of regeneration, he has received a new nature. And uh, from the very moment of conversion to the moment you either die or the Lord comes, there's going to be a conflict, a battle raging within you between the old nature and the new nature. Now, there was a time, especially in the early church history, in which it was taught in some churches that it was possible for the old nature in the Christian to be, be entirely eradicated so that a Christian can reach the stage in which they are sinlessly perfect sinless perfection now that was actually taught by some churches of bygone times in fact, uh, even as, as uh, in the 19th century, during Spurgeon's time, that was taught. And I think of the story of the young man that came to see Mr. Spurgeon, who was the pastor of the great tabernacle. And he says, Mr. Spurgeon, I've got news for you. Spurgeon said, what is it, young man? Well, he says, I have arrived what do you mean you have arrived? I have arrived and I am sinlessly perfect. I am sinlessly perfect. I have arrived. All smiles. I have, I have arrived. I am sinlessly perfect. Oh, is that right, Mr. Spurgeon? Well, because you know the Bible says, prove all things. You've got to test these things. And my dear friend... Don't believe everything the preacher says. Don't be gullible. Test everything. And anything that I've said this morning, you test it, examine it, if it's in the Bible. Because I don't claim infallibility. I'm not like the Pope, you know. I don't claim infallibility. 
You've got to test these things. And so Mr. Spurgeon was going to test the, the young man's theory. He said he was sinlessly perfect. Now, if you know anything of Spurgeon, he was heavily built. And with all his weight, he tramped on the young man's foot. And what came out of the young man's mouth convinced Spurgeon that he was far from being sinlessly perfect. No, my dear friends, that old nature will never be eradicated. It is condemned. And God's not in the business of informing and transforming the old nature. No, it's condemned. And there's always going to be a conflict between the old and the new. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 5. The flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary the one to the other. Let me illustrate it. You know about the law of gravitation. Now why are you sitting in your seat and not floating in the air? You could be floating in the air, but you're sitting in your seat. Now, why are you sitting in your seat? For the simple reason, because of gravitation. And gravitation is that which draws everything down to the earth. It keeps it from floating about in space. And the old nature is like the law of gravitation. It's continually dragging you down, down, down. The new nature is that which seeks to elevate and lift you up heavenwards. Give you desire to come to church. Give you desire to read the Bible. Give you desire to pray and to have fellowship. And there's a conflict. And sometimes you have the desire when I, I have to read the Bible. But then the old nature said, when I, there's a good program on television this evening. So what happens when I have a, I'll read the Bible later on and on goes the television and you give in to the old nature. Now you ladies this morning, are you into diets? Well, I'm going to give you a diet this morning, not just for the ladies, for everybody. Here's a new diet. From this Sunday onwards, you are going to starve the old nature and you're going to feed the new nature so that's your diet starve the old feed the new don't give in to those feelings of the old nature starve it now that, that explains what you have in Romans chapter 7 and if you understand this doctrine, you understand what Paul means in Romans chapter 7. And here's what he says. Not my words, Paul's words. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And then he says during the chapter, listen to these words. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, that's not the words of a young convert. 
That's the words of the mighty Apostle Paul, who was caught up to the third heaven and had visions and revelations. That's what Paul says. In me dwelleth no good thing. He's referring to the old nature. Oh, wretched, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So that's enemy number two. The flesh within you. The conflict between the old nature and the new nature. Starve the old. Feed the new. Now you're getting this, friends. Enemy number one, the world around you. Enemy number two, the flesh within you. Enemy number three, the devil behind it all. I sometimes wonder, does the church, and I speak generally, does the church any longer believe in the devil? I sometimes wonder. Make no mistake, friends. The devil hates you if you are a Christian this morning. He hates you, not so much because of who you are, but because of your relationship to Jesus Christ, God's Son. He hates you. And sometimes he comes along, as Peter says, as a roaring lion to scare you. Other times he's transformed into an angel of light to deceive you by his insidious ways. He's your enemy, the devil, behind it all. Now, if you've been listening very carefully, I trust you have, friends, trying to follow me as I have worked this out, these two great doctrines, old doctrines. I trust that I've blown some of the cobwebs off them. If you have forgotten about them or perhaps don't know anything about them and all this is new to you, please remember the Christian standing never changes. The Christian state, it fluctuates from day to day. And then don't forget your three great enemies. The world around you, the flesh within you, and the devil behind it all. Now I wonder, are you thinking, oh dear, dear, dear. Oh dear, I'm sorry I came this morning Oh, I feel so down, all this about the, the stand in the state and the three great enemies. But uh, let me finish on a good note, on a great note. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 8. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Christian, we are on the victory Side. Now we might lose a few battles along the way, but we are going to win ultimately the victory, the triumph. Isn't that absolutely wonderful? We are going to be victorious at the end. Now let me ask you another question. I'm getting the old grey cells working this morning. Let me ask you another question. Do you know 
what you have been saved for. Now you probably know what you've been saved from. A lost eternity. Thank God for that. But that's negative. Tell me, do you know what you've been saved for? Well, let me tell you. Here's what Paul, here's what Paul says, Romans 8. Whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. You see, God the Father was so delighted and so pleased with his lovely Son. He spoke twice from heaven, you remember, at his baptism and the Mount of Transfiguration. And he said audibly and loudly, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And what God's going to do is going to have replicas of the Lord Jesus. And that is why God has saved you. Not to save you from a lost eternity, but to ultimately conform you to his son. So that one day you are going to be like him. The one who loved you and gave himself for you. Isn't that absolutely wonderful what God's got in store for you? That when God has finished you, he's going to conform you to his son. And here's the Bible says, Philippians chapter 1. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you a story. I have a good friend. His name's Billy. I won't give you a surname. His name's Billy. And uh, he's married to... Uh, a dear woman, his wife, and uh, his wife is not too happy with Billy. Now, why is his wife not too happy with Billy? I'll tell you why. Because Billy is one of those characters that starts things but never finishes them. So, yes. His wife's name is Ethel. It's suddenly come to mind. His wife's name is Ethel. And Ethel says, Billy, for goodness sake, would you, would you finish what you have started? Because Ethel got a great list of things. Billy started them with great intention to finish them. Oh yes, I'll finish them. But poor Ethel demented. He won't finish what he has commenced. Now, I wonder you husbands... Is that your wife thinks of you this morning? You're starting things and you don't finish them. That's, that's Ethel's dilemma. Now that happened with us near mortals. Let me assure you friends. What God commences. He will finish. And there's no power on earth. And there's no power in hell. Can defeat God. From accomplishing his purpose. You see, if you start the work, you would have to finish it. But the devil defeats you every time. You're no match for him. Ah, but you see, you didn't start the work. It was God who started it. In your life. 
And what God commences, he will finish. He will bring to perfection. Greater is he that is in you, the Bible says, than he that is in the world. Have you ever read that lovely verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, verse 2? Beloved, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John is in his early 90s when he wrote that. In his early 90s. And he's not just having to, to trot down to the post office in Ephesus and get his pension. He's captivated. He's filled. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And he's looking forward to a great event. He says, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We haven't seen him as he was, but we shall see him as he is, in all his majesty, in all his glory, in all his splendor. Christian, have you ever thought what it's going to be like when for the first time that your eyes will look into the face of your Lord and of your Saviour? Have you ever thought of that? Because it's going to happen one of these days. Either by death or by his, his coming. We shall see him. And the moment we see him, we shall be like him in all his glory. The old hymn says that will be glory for me. And that will be glory for you, dear friends. And not only to see him, but think of it to be with him for the countless ages of eternity. But isn't it wonderful these old doctrines and I've sought by the grace of God to bring them to your attention. I'm conscious that to some they may be new but they're very old doctrines and they're contained in this blessed book. So don't forget Christian your standing don't forget your state and don't forget do, do not forget your three great enemies the world around you the flesh within you and the devil behind it all but cheer up be of good courage we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we're heading for victory and who knows it could be sooner than we think God bless you